Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hey everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I am in Columbia, Maryland, checking in with our friends at Sapwood Cellars. Uh, and joining me is Mike Tonsmeyer. Did I pronounce that right, or is it, it Mir? It's Meyer. It was 100% okay, correct. Good. I should have just looked at you instead and, and went for it, because I, I, I knew I would probably say it wrong. Um, I, I knew it had been a while since we talked, but then I looked up, and I also found out something weird. I didn't realize that there's an entry on IMDb for this podcast. <laughs> am, when, I, am I on IMDb? I I'll have to, it, it's it's a very skeleton entry. So I, I was actually thinking, like, would it be worthwhile me going through and filling everything in? But when I Googled Uncapped yeah. Podcast, Sapwood Sellers, like it was an IMDb entry that popped up. You've got um, a mega fan somewhere. Yeah, apparently. Um, but it was it, it was 2019. Yeah. I knew it was a while ago, but I didn't realize it had been that long. Um, time, time flies. <laughs> yeah, there was some, and it was December of 2019. So there were some things that happened shortly after that to kind of threw a wrench in a lot of things. Uh, so it's great to be talking to you again. And I feel like it's been so long that maybe we should do like a quick rundown of just like the history of Sapwood. Like we did that in that first ep, because we didn't even do that in that last episode. I think the first time you were on was like 2017, maybe yeah. 2018. So. We can do a quick overview of, well, one, who you are, because um, you're definitely one of, I think, the more well-known brewery owners because of your past life, um, and then a little history of uh, how Sapwood Cellars came to be and all that. Sure. Um, so as you may remember from the earlier appearances, we're a brewery that's focused on uh, pastry sours and barrel-aged stouts. Sort of joking. That's when <laughs> when when we opened, we were really um, all about uh, my partner Scott's IPAs and my barrel age mixed firm sour beers, and um, so much so that Scott even wrote a book about IPAs. And, that, and I wrote a book about sour yeah, beers, and I still have not read either of them. Sorry, I, I actually they're, briefly they're, thought they're not I, fun reads. They're both very technical and sort of beer brewer centric. I actually briefly thought like I'll finally read these uh, leading up to. The recording this, and then it came together way more quickly than I thought it was going to. I was like, oh yeah, I'm never going to read <laughs> beforehand. Um, so both of us had sort of been um, brewing hobbyists for a long time. I'm uh, getting pretty close to 20 years since I started home brewing, and, and Scott was a couple years after me. We both had sort of good, cushy, cubicle jobs in Washington, D.C., and decided that um, we could probably keep doing that for the rest of our lives and go to Homebrew Con and do a little consulting on the side for cool breweries. Now, and Scott was a lobbyist, correct? Yeah. He, Were you also in no, lobbying? or would it? No, I was an economist for the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Okay. Although economist in sort of the, the loosest, I, I, I have an undergrad in economics, so I'm not a... Uh, I have some good friends who are PhD econ uh, economists for you know the Fed and whatever. I was a, a, a very uh, low-level version of that economist you know. light. Yeah, in, <laughs> in the same way that you know, there's like Budweiser's a real brewery, and we're kind of like the fun weird brewery. <laughs> yeah. I was the fun weird economist. Um, but I, I worked on um, inflation, so obviously my old my old coworkers are having a fun time uh, the last year or so. Um, but we both decided that you know it was worth taking a shot at it, and we'd regret more not having made that jump and, and you know, sitting in a cubicle for the next 30 years and going, well, you know, what, what could have been or what, what could we have, you know, made or whatever. 
And so we took that jump and we were lucky to find a space here in Columbia that had already been built out for a brewery that just never opened. Um, and that made the financial side of it a lot easier to open up. And uh, originally we'd sort of been looking at more of that rare barrel reference, sort of buy work from somebody, just focus on the barrel aged sours to get sort of um, our foot in the door of professional yeah. brewing and Has do it part time. Has that model worked for anyone? I mean, Is, like the the, um, the rare barrel just yeah. sold the seller maker. I mean, that I think they're sadly the issue at the moment, and we can we can talk about more. Is that um, barrel aged sour beers are not the the cool thing that they yeah. maybe once were. That they are now a very the people who love them love them and go out of their way and find the best ones and still seek them out. But the average consumer, I don't know if it's burnt out on it or if it's that um, after the last three years in between the politics and the the pandemic and everything. That people just when they have a beer, they don't want to be um, ceremonial about or like uh, they, cerebral they, about they, it. Kind of, they don't want to. No one wants to feel stupid or something. You know, talked yeah. down to. They want a big marshmallow, chocolate, yeah. peanut butter hug, and to, to they feel, want the mac and cheese of beer. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's a, there's nothing wrong about that. I mean, beer is about escapism and it's about um, having fun. And 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 as a brewery, we're very much focused on making the beers that people want to buy as a way to, you know, like, we were joking. Um, yesterday we bottled a uh, Berliner Weiss that's been in cider barrels for eight months, three point something percent alcohol, mixed firm, no boil, this beautiful, cool, weird thing that I'm sure is not going to sell well. Tomorrow <laughs> we're doing a 14% cherry brandy barrel aged stout with peanut butter and peanuts. Yeah, and people will buy the hell out of that one. And and that and it's going to be three times as much per bottle, and it was a lot more effort to make. And but that funds um, us to keep the the weirder stuff going and not have to worry about you know the cost of the bottles or whatever. And and hey, barrel aged sour beers just get better as they sit around. And yeah, if you come in, we've got you know usually six or seven choices, both for um, you know open a bottle in-house and our, our stupid lambic basket-y things that we got a local uh, artisan weaver to make for us from uh, uh, where she is in Maryland, but up, up north a little bit. Um, but, you know, that's like the nice thing about having bottles is that they sit around, they get yeah. better, they get more interesting, and the people who are really passionate about them can come in and, and have a variety to choose from. Yeah, I just feel like everyone I've talked to that originally started to go that route, they they – sometimes like last minute or even after they open change their mind right away and go the route yeah. that you've done and that it, I guess it probably basically just cause the, the market isn't there and there's a few big people uh, relative yeah. it, that have been doing it for so long and are well known for it that it, I, I think part of it is just that price point too, that if somebody's throwing down, you know, a lot of our balls are, $14, $15, dollars yeah. that um, there can be such a range in those beers. And uh, we've been trying to pull back our acidity that our, our sourness was got, got to a point where it's um, it's a really fun beer. It's, you, you know, share it with a couple of friends and you each have three or four ounces and you sip it and it's, it's fun to try, yeah. but it might be not the sort of thing that you want to have a whole one by yourself. And so we've been, there's still sour beers more than the, the sort of the pastry smoothie sours that we also do. Um, but the idea is that, hey, you could split it with one person or, hey, maybe you split one the night before and you say, wow, that was so good. I'm going to have my second bottle by myself or, you yeah. know, I, I need to go grab more of those rather than having it sit in your basement waiting for that perfect opportunity to open it. And then it's been three years and now it's OK, but maybe the fruit characters fallen off or whatever. 
I find myself having that problem all the time now, especially with the advent of kids growing to the age of having constant activities that I don't I don't get as many opportunities to sit around and drink with friends. So yeah. bottles sit forever. Yeah, because it, and and that's our I mean, that's but to me that's one of the great things about mixed firm sour beers is that you can have like a really fantastic. 5% beer that's unique and interesting and that you're going to want to sort of, you know, drink half of it cold and then as it warms up it's going to become more interesting where those big silly sweet stouts no one really should be drinking a whole one of those in yeah. a sitting, you know, <laughs> whereas um a sour beer is like a something as a as a beer nerd connoisseur or whatever you can really um, enjoy that whole bottle slowly over the course of a night as you're eating food as you're, you know, dealing with the kids and hey it's still only five percent alcohol yeah. and honestly you're going to drink it a lot slower than you would a five percent hellas or something like that that is going to be gone when you look at your glass and where where yeah. that thing go <laughs> like man that went down way too easy yeah and and we're trying to sort of push our sour beers in that direction that there's um i think that's where like the belgian lambics are that there's like an undeniable refreshing deliciousness to a great goose but you could also have it in a tulip and you could also age it for 10 years and you could also sit around with your friends and argue whether the uh, 2007 or the 2009 Lupep is the better one. Um, I I want to get to at least that point where it's like, hey, I could drink this cold while while watching a football game. You know, yeah. I'm watching the playoffs. Hey, I'm going to open a Sapwood Cellar sour beer and just enjoy it cold and refreshing and tart and low alcohol and and hey, if we can eventually get to the like, people can argue over which vintage of the uh-huh. um, we're putting out uh, a couple weeks the cherry growing season our local maryland cherry sour beer like i'd love to get to the point where people are arguing whether the 2020 the 2022 the 2024 we do it every other year is the better well, version you know well, if there's anything that passionate beer drinkers uh will do it is will argue with what version was better <laughs> it's, that's not true it's always the first well yeah that's what i mean like they will argue but it's all it's not it's never going to be the current one like yeah. oh, i was so much better the first time yeah, i made that, it. that they first batch up. man well, that's Iowa every year, and I'm thinking of it now because it's Nugget Nectar season, where people swear and say that it's not as good as the year before. And then you talk to those guys, and they talk about how much effort they put into making sure it tastes the same yeah. every year. And I fully trust them, and I also don't think it has changed. I mean, maybe from... 10 years ago or yeah. longer it did but it we, we still get that the first batch of snip snap was definitely the best one people still <laughs> can remember that one pint they had yeah. in 2019 well why won't compare. you just make it that good again mike <laughs> a galaxy sucks <laughs> although that is i mean that is a problem right that it galaxy oh, yeah. didn't turn out to be a crop for longevity but the, and, and you hear different things from different people. Sort of the, the knowledgeable people that I've talked to who go to Australia to select Galaxy say that there are certain regions where they grow Galaxy where it never turns out well and that they are then just blending it all together and the sort of the junk Galaxy oh, okay. is kind of bringing the rest of it down and that the more places are allowed to select, the more of the good stuff that they take as single lot and the more the higher percentage of the sort of iffy stuff gets blended in. But... We, we were, uh, we, Snip Snap is Citra Galaxy, and then we do Shard Blade, which is Mosaic Galaxy, and we were going to do a triple IPA version of Shard, Shard Blade a couple of weeks ago. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, two months ago. And we got our box of 2022 Galaxy, and it smelled like honey roasted peanuts. And that became uh, New Hop Crop Max, which was Simcoe Citra. 
And that was our only choice that like the galaxy was not good and we're not putting bad galaxy and putting out a beer, yeah. you know, that, that sucks. Is it's now that it's kind of, um, it's, it's had those problems. Is it still ex as expensive as when it first came out and it was like what everyone wanted to No, it's, with? it's, it's very much come down in, in price. Right. It's still, but it's still, you know, 18, $20 so a it's pound. It's a premium one, but which is if you're rolling the dice on a 50, 50, you know, that's, that's a yeah. lot of money. And we, we use a lot of galaxy in the kettle just because it's a way to use up hops that it blows off a lot of those sort of iffy aromas the yeast does its work and it, it's a totally fine kettle edition but it's not it's not 20 dollar pound kettle edition yeah. it's not um, terrific would rather be using you know cascade or crystal or these you know lower alpha um, fruity hops that are inexpensive how did your first homebrew turn out um, I remember it being pretty good. I was liar. Uh, I was in I was in college, uh, and I took a, a beer brewing and appreciation course at Carnegie Mellon University. Oh, okay. Well, you you went about it differently then. <laughs> I didn't know Carnegie Mellon had any kind of. Uh, well, it was it was like a student led course. Oh, okay. So gotcha, it was. Okay. I just needed credits. My yeah. my. I forgot that you went to of, Carnegie Mellon. And um, that school is fascinating to me. World renowned for computer science. And Drama. acting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was really funny. We, uh, I was actually just watching like a random YouTube video about some robot wheelie skate thing, and they showed a picture of the outside of this building. I was like, man, that looks like where East End is. And I looked up, and I was like, yeah, it's one block from East End. <laughs> yeah. um, Scott from East End gave our class a, a tour right before they opened. Oh, um, for the, the original new, space. Oh, the closet. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this was 2000, 2006 or okay, whatever. But yeah. I think he was paying 600 bucks a month in rent. But, I mean... You know, if you can open a brewery like that, that's yeah. fantastic. And then turn it into what it is today. I mean, that's yeah. I, I actually haven't even been back to the original space. I, um, But honestly, like, experiences like that have been such a big um, influence on my life. Uh, my friend uh, Nathan Zender, who's now, who was at uh, the original head brewer at Wright Proper and is now the winemaker at uh, Rockland's Vineyard in Poolsville, he and I went up to uh, visit East End and brew one of their Kavas uh, 12, 13, 14 years ago, and we actually just did a dark lager with caraway seeds, which was very much influenced by that, you know, definitely a very different expression of those flavors and ingredients, but just the idea of making a bready beer with caraway seeds. Um, I mean, those, those are the things that um, you just have to get out there and try other people's beer, because if you just try the highest rated thing on untapped, it's always just going to be the the double IPA or the yeah. Imperial Stout or whatever. You You have to search out those places that may not have the highest rating, but like clearly have a passion and are following their own muse rather than just going after whatever the, the coolest thing at the moment is. East End beer is actually some of the first craft beer that got me into craft beer because my, my brother-in-law lived right yeah. by there. Um, and so when I, fir when I moved to Frederick and Flying Dog was my gateway. So when I moved to Frederick, they had also just moved to Frederick yeah. and Actually, previous to that, I didn't really drink at all. So I started trying them, and I started like wanting to try new things. Yeah. And my brother-in-law was like at the same time doing the same thing. So I went up to visit, and he was like, "Oh, I gotta take you to this awesome place." Yeah. And we went, took our growlers, <laughs> got them filled. This closet of a of a tap. Well, actually, it wasn't even a tap room. It was just a growler filled. Yeah. Um, and then, and Scott's just one of the great greatest people in the yeah. industry. I think. 
No, and, and it's so cool that there are just those cool places everywhere that, you know, don't necessarily get a lot of hype or a lot of excitement, but, like, yeah. the locals know it's it's a great oh, place. Oh, Pittsburgh and, loves East End. Yeah. I mean, he used to also say bicycle keg deliveries. Yeah, the, and, yeah. um, uh, what, Pedal Pale Ale. Yeah. They would have, every year, the first keg of it, they would have a, a, a bike ride where they would deliver, I think they delivered it to the first bar that ever carried East yeah. End beer. They would ride it. From the on a bike, ride the first the first keg of it to the the to the first bar that served East End. Yeah, if I remember Scott saying, I think he only had done like six or seven home brews before he opened the place. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> it's it's, it's it, well, it's I mean, back then it wasn't yeah. that crazy because there, there weren't many local yeah, breweries, especially and, not in Pittsburgh. I mean, and you he just was you, one you, of the few. Yeah, and you really had an opportunity to to get in, and and now um, if you don't come out of the gates, really, oh, spitting fire and doing collabs yeah. and whatever, and. It's yeah. tough. <laughs> Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, on spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. So your first your first homebrew was not a Mr. Beer kit then, I guess. No, it, it was, it was a, a steep grain brown yeah. ale um, that my friend Nicole and I made as part of this. It was the midterm for the okay. class, and then we did a vanilla cream ale, which was inspired by uh, Summer Solstice from Anderson Valley, which... And I think people are still confusing what cream ale is. I certainly was at the time. It's not a creamy ale. It is a you know ale version of Budweiser. All right. I, I retract my uh, calling you a liar because the, the circumstances do lead to you I, <laughs> being I successful. I remember one of my good one. friends trying both of them, the, the vanilla cream ale and the brown, being like, these kind of taste the same. It's like, okay, maybe I need to figure out all grain or something. <laughs> There's just like a baseline, yeah. you know, homebrew flavor. So how, um, how did you and Scott meet? Uh, was it through the world of politics? No, or? no, God, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> we uh, were both in D.C. Homebrewers, the, the Homebrew okay. Club in D.C., but we were also both writing blogs. Uh, me, the Mad Fermentationist, him, scottjanish.com. Yeah. You can tell which one the creative one is. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but we, uh, I had taken, I can't remember, I, I had done some stuff with um, Hop Oils, and I'd made like an Excel sheet, and then he turned into like a little, a little web applet where you could... Um, enter one hop and it would like figure out what two hops it was most similar to that you could blend to get a similar oil profile yeah. or something. Um, and then um, we were friendly and I started recognizing because he lived up in Laurel and he was coming down for work and then going right to the homebrew club meetings, he had a, like an insulated vacuum growler with his IPAs in it. And I was starting to recognize that growler with the really good IPAs before I really knew him personally. <laughs> <clears throat> and then... Um, we, we both have slightly different recollections. I remember being at our friend Jake's house and 
having too many of his delicious IPAs and just being like, hey, man, like, you know, if you ever like want to open like a brewery or something, like just you know, let me know. These IPAs are great. He's like, oh, actually, I've got a business plan. I, I was looking at space and <laughs> a like you steps know, ahead of you. <laughs> and it was like, well, it's just like a little too much for one person to handle. And yeah, like yeah. we. Were, I was like, oh shit, I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> um, he remembers. Um, he was um, figuring out if he wanted to go the more professional publication route for his um, book, like I did, or if he wanted to self-publish. And so he yeah. came over at some point. We, I think that may have been like. The a couple solidifying of, of the yeah, and and we sort of like I told him about my experiences with brewers publications, um, doing American sour beers, and and then we ended up talking about beer and breweries and and whatever. And you've always leaned towards the sour and mixed fermentation side, right? Or is that, that just what you wrote your book on? That, that's certainly what I wrote my book on. Um, I started brewing them kind of as a way um, when I moved down to the D.C. area in, in 2006. Um, I had a couple of months off. I'd gotten laid off. Financial crisis. Oh, so it must have been 2008. Uh, <laughs> it's two, amazing how the catastrophes are. Yeah. How well, <laughs> I, I I work for a company that's doing loan uh, mortgage loan or origination. Oh, so I, so. I got I got laid off, um, and so I had a couple of months off. I was living with my parents. I was on unemployment, which when you've worked for six months and you're in Massachusetts and you're getting like $500 a week for unemployment, yeah, you can make a lot of homebrew. Um, <laughs> And so I did a bunch of sour beers, left them in my parents' um, garage, uh, and so I'd go home, visit my parents, taste the sour beers. Okay. You know, I would drive back and forth. I'd bring, you know, make some sour beer in my apartment and leave it there. And so I became known for, but I was certainly, um, in, like, I was involved in doing the original startup recipes for Modern Times. I was doing consulting for for a bunch of breweries and sort of developing a lot of different kinds of recipes. And, and as a home brewer, I did stouts and IPAs and lagers and whatever the the sour beers. I think I just happened to be on that early wave of them becoming popular, yeah. and then the book came out at sort of a very um, good time that a lot of breweries were were seeing dollar signs in their yeah. eyes at the the prices and the the excitement that they were generating. So then it kind of just built this mystique that that's who you were. Yeah, and, and, and then and Scott didn't help by coming out with an IPA book where it made it <laughs> look and, like. <laughs> and and he did sour beers at home. He he yeah. had a couple barrels in his little loft in his his condo and. And so we very much were, are, were and are still both involved in both sides of the program. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know anyone smart enough to like do any of these things 100% on their own or have a good enough palate that they don't need help tasting barrels and someone saying, man, I get this great strawberry note. Yeah, I do too. Really? Okay. <laughs> you know, maybe we should get some strawberries. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of like where we are is that there's what we've been open four years and we've done 580 different beers. Uh, and now we have a couple of great brewers, Brandon and, Ken, and Ken, who come up with ideas and you know push for things. Um, Ken's been on a real lager kick, so we just did a Czech amber lager. We got some really cool Raven Pilsner malt from uh, Will Floor Maltster in uh, Bohemia. We've dealing with you know we just got a little RO unit, so we could do really soft water. Oh, nice. um, and so we're we're the sort of weird brewery that like just like has the time and the effort and the money to like throw at doing any, if we're going to do something, we're going to do it in a way that is distinct or special or unique or the best that we can possibly do it. And that, you know, is doing a step mash on our system that's not designed to do step mashes and being totally, um, you know, it, it kills some time, but that's like, you know, a, a couple hours of my or Scott's time staying late to finish up a brew after Ken does his eight hours yeah. is worth it to make a beer that's, 5%, 10% better. 
um, that we really hopefully learn something from, or we maybe you know figure out what is going to make the the best possible beer, and then take good notes, and then a year from now when we try to brew it again, you know, fix See fix it. whatever problems we had. Well, no, it, it that first one will be better. <laughs> um, what what the heck happened with modern times? Um, so I I really was not I was not uh, formally associated with Modern Times after they've been open for maybe two or three yeah. years, um, but we were still friendly with a bunch of those people. Um, we've we've done a couple of collabs with people who left Modern Times and now are at other places, yeah, and that's yeah. been great. You um, actually you did a collab with them not too long before they went under, right? It was, it was, it was it's a, been a while. We did one in it was twenty twenty nineteen or something okay. like that. But yeah, it was during that. Fog of, yeah. of it was, time. It, it was right right before because twenty twenty was COVID. COVID yeah, twenty early twenty twenty March so, of twenty twenty. So I think was, September twenty nineteen. We did okay. a, we did a collab. Um, I mean, I I think it's just always difficult when you grow at that rate. So they they were a victim of overexpanding. I well, and then I, I wouldn't. I I would say both in terms of financially that yeah they, that's what I'm like the, the, they they took on too much debt for yeah to you, expand you, to, you you but then you have a I mean again we can argue about once in a lifetime but you yeah, know yeah, whatever yeah. you you have something that there were know, extenuating circumstances that and and could have thrown a monkey wrench into their and, uh, and honestly I I think their the sort of concept of that business model of let's get a, a pretty big system let's have a great tasting room and do a lot of distribution. But then let's slowly open up new locations and turn what had been distribution cases and kegs into more in-house cases and kegs in Oakland, uh, Portland, Santa Barbara, you know, whatever um, was a super smart idea. And then you just run into, you know, what, what COVID is. Able, yeah, they, and not being able to service debt in a very expensive area to operate yeah. and with tons of competition. Yeah. And and I mean obviously like their their branding was on point. They yeah. you know did very cool beers. They had very high ratings. They had a lot of local support and and you know penetration with their and their coffee was you know super smart move that did really well. They were doing nitro cold brew. They're doing. Um, I mean it was the do going out and seeing them. It was. I always thought that going to San Diego was like oh like visiting the beer future. You know you would see these yeah. things like oh like when I was out there um, probably ten years ago. Like yeah, like everyone out here like wants to know the hop varieties, and if they see, um, you know, certain hop varieties, they're not going to buy the beer. And yeah. you come out here and just like no one's really talking about the hops, or there's no like particular, you know, oh this is the Nelson Citra and this is the Galaxy Simcoe yeah. or whatever. Um, and, like we went to one of their festivals and they were it was, it was such a smart idea. They had their own screen pin- printing thing for shirts, and so you could go and pick the size and the color. And they would put whichever logo you want on it, so then they wouldn't have all this excess inventory, yeah. or they wouldn't have to buy. You know, there's a company in Frederick that does that at all the Frederick breweries events. And yeah, yeah. So actually, at any kind of event in the Frederick area. But like that was the first time yeah. I'd ever seen something like that was it's five brilliant. years I mean, it's ago. So brilliant, because yeah. like you said, you could sink so much money into a design and a size, and then have tons of them left yeah. over. Yeah, oh, and but then also not be able to sell because the guy who wants the extra large, sorry, the extra larges yeah. are all sold out or whatever it is. And so it's like going out there was always this was inspiring the the equipment they had the smart people they had working for them. Um, it just you know COVID sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, did did this sale ever go finalized? Yeah. So with it's, them? it's Maui. Yeah. Okay, I thought I, 
I had seen Maui was going to buy them, and then I it's, saw an article where it might not happen. And that's probably why. So it's brewer, uh, it was Brewery X for a while, but it yeah, was this really which weird. I thought was a made-up thing, or like that they were. When I first read that article, I thought it was like it was a secret of who it was. Like it was like brewery. Oh, code code name yeah, John like, Doe. Yeah, and I'm like, oh no, there's a brewery named Brewery X. And it, and that I was told was sort of like, it was like a very weird. Uh, matching that brewery is a seemingly very conservative um, sort of politically um, aligned thing. In modern times, it's very much not that. Yeah. Um, and so it seemed like a weird sort of pairing. And, and But yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the answer is that, yeah, just, um, I mean, it's the same thing that's happened to a lot of these breweries that grew very fast. I mean, Dogfish had, had trouble. They're, yeah. you know, you... Um, that's how you grow generally is that you, you take out loans and yeah. you double down you on things. You project and, what you're going to do and... There's a lot of decisions made on the exponential growth yeah. that everyone was seeing for so many years in yeah. a row, and then that ground to a halt. Yeah, and that's that's very much not, and and honestly, not because of that. It's just because I'm a very risk averse person. Yeah, um, and I I opened this brewery with Scott to do the thing that I love doing, which is making beer, and not to be the CEO the of, a, of a beer factory. Yeah, um, and have to deal with um, you know layers of when when we talk to to the bigger breweries that you know well if we want to put out a new beer there's you know the three barrel you know in-house only pilot system and if that does well there then we start talking to marketing sales yeah. branding okay and then we set, step up to you know the the 10 barrel pilot system and we do a local release and we see how that does and we do focus groups and yeah. Which is all very different than how you just described yeah. the, and, the and you have to make experimentation a, and you have to make a case and, and if you're you're successful you're making a case to the business team or whatever but you know if you're not that you know if you've got loans you're making maybe making a case to a bank that you know you yeah. say hey I want to spend X amount to buy some bourbon barrels because I'm going to do this double barrel age 24 hour boil stout that is going to not make us any money for but we really want for to 24 do months but like yeah. we're real excited about it and but also like we just did a 24 hour boil stout and that beer is looking real murky and I'm really hopeful that it turns out well but yeah. there's also a chance that we spent you know thousands of dollars and and three or four production days to make this thing that may not yield any saleable beer and that's like that's okay yeah and that's you know that's, you're in a position to be able to to roll the dice yeah. on that whereas somewhat like well, modern times definitely like with the or yeah. if you're have shareholders or yeah. multiple multiple owners or and 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 that also that's just sort of like I I there's a I think it's a Steve Jobs sort of quote thing about uh, Xerox and that Xerox had, was really sort of founded by engineers and the engineers were in charge and they would sort of you know take these flyers on whatever you know. But that is Xerox became sort of a monopoly and they didn't have any competition for Xeroxes, you could no longer sort of get into the, the upper echelons of the power structure by being an engineer because making the printer 10% more whatever no really one, didn't matter anymore yeah. because they essentially had this monopoly. And so it became the marketing team or the advertising. And that then became the people who then said, well, we shouldn't be spending all this money on R&D. It's not worth it, you know. And then you fall behind. To and then you've, or, or you don't see that, you know, there's famous stories about Kodak developing the first digital camera and then, you know, not doing anything yeah. with it because it would have undercut their film business or whatever. And then, you know, they're, yeah. they're not gone, but they're certainly not the dominant player in digital image processing or whatever that they probably could have been. Um, and I see that a lot in breweries that, you know, if, if you get to a certain size, it can be, 
the focus becomes solely on selling beer or solely on um, shelf stability because you're shipping you know nationally and hazy IPAs aren't something that you can do you yeah. know ship nat- nat- nationally warm stored so a lot of them were kind of late to the game on that and yeah the um, amount of time that your products spends in the chain yeah. doesn't uh, that is, doesn't afford yeah the, but then it just makes you so it sort of forces those people say okay so the brewers can't make a hazy IPA even if they're excited about yeah. it it doesn't it's not in the um, hey it's just a blip it'll be gone in two years and let's not waste our time yeah. you know um, figuring out how we could possibly make this shelf stable it's just not worth it um, and that's I think where hopefully small breweries always have an advantage where the owner the beer nerd gets to make the final call on what's worth it you know what's worth um maybe not taking a loss on but what isn't as profitable but still worth doing mcclintock distilling is maryland's first and only certified organic distillery handcrafting gins whiskeys vodkas and cordials from non-gmo organic ingredients in downtown frederick named the best vodka distillery in the country by usa today best gin in the world at the international spirits competition and double gold at the world spirits competition for bourbon rye and gin open now for tours tastings and classes come sample the most awarded distillery in frederick today so i think you would have a very good perspective on this being you you definitely wear multiple hats in the beer world like you've borderline journalist in in writing um definitely a writer a beer writer uh enthusiast and as a brewery owner do you think that 2023 is going to be a huge shift in craft beer in the from the angle of like one that there's going to be a shakeout uh, and I think we're already seeing that halfway through the first month of the year but also like the culture itself when it comes to festivals and just the craft beer in general. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly seems like there are a lot of um, breweries um, just getting by. And one of the problems with making beer your job is that you you end up doing a bunch of things that you're not excited about. And, and part of that is just like, I mean, at this point, Scott and I, like our IPA process is pretty well dialed in. That's no longer sort of scratching that itch of investigating something as much. We we're playing around with um, yeast blends and we always there's always new hops and new hop products to to try out um but at a certain point it is just you know somebody's got to clean the tank somebody's got to you know be there early on a brew day somebody's got to do the ingredient ordering somebody's got to do those things and if you're just breaking even or, or in some cases you know people are going into their savings to keep doing this there's no longer that um passion there and there's no longer a financial incentive there's you're probably not going to keep doing it indefinitely. It's uh, just a grind at that point. Yeah, and and we're lucky enough to have been successful enough that we've been able to hire people that, you know, Ken's back there cleaning the tank that had the peanut butter in it. That's something I had to do a year ago. I didn't like that. It wasn't fun. It's not my... my, my um, it wasn't I'm, why you, your passion to yeah, open a brewery. <laughs> and, I, and it's also not something I, I'm particularly great at. And, and yeah. there's a lot of stress, like peanuts are an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'd say that a lot of places where if you're you're just making by, you know just getting by and you you have high rent or you're you know all those things that there's only so long that you're going to want to keep doing that unless things start looking rosier. Um, and we've 
we've been pretty well insulated than that from that. Just I think this region in general has a we, lot of we, government employees, yeah. contractors. We kind of live in a bubble that doesn't get hit quite as hard as many other parts of the country. Like we'll, we'll see downturns and stuff, but we have a lot of things that prop up our economy. Yeah. And then specifically in Colombia, you're like, so like one of the richest uh, yeah. areas in the, this but, area. but I'll say even here that, you know, that people are paying seven bucks a dozen yeah. for eggs. And, and, you know, I, we, we just did a stupid beer with cornflakes. And it's like $6 a box for cornflakes. Is that right? <laughs> and Ken was like, yeah, my kids eat a lot of Cheerios. Like I'm, I'm expecting a nice raise this year. Um, but like that's, but we still see that, you know, that particularly where we're sort of, I'd say even like a, a more like, Hey, like people are buying bottles and they're expensive bottles and they're sitting yeah. on the bottles that, you know, there are a lot more regulars who might go, well, it's fun to try that on tap, but I don't need two $18 bottles of it yeah. to go in my basement with the other 40 bottles of Sapwood Cellars beer I have already. cutting back. Yeah, but not. Somewhat, but not as bad as other areas. Yeah, but honestly, you know, we're, we're sort of, you know, counting on the, you know, not just getting the $5 half pour of the, the new barrel sour, but yeah. you're going home with a couple yeah, of, you yeah. know, we were hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like those are the kinds of things that, um, we we can certainly absorb that, and it's allowed us to do more smaller batches. So where early on we were doing a lot of like three oak barrel blends, now we do more frequently two barrel blends, and then have six or seven hundred bottles rather than twelve hundred bottles or whatever it is. And that's that's fun for me because honestly, I'd rather make more weird beers, and then yeah. the bottling runs are four hours rather than seven hours or whatever. And it doesn't kill me, but it is more time, more effort, more ingredient sourcing, more um, thoughtfulness. And, and, but those are the things I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even thought of it from the standpoint. Like I had always like was just looking at it from the, the mindset of like the company was just in financial ruin. Like it just was not even feasible to stay open, but not even thinking it from the standpoint where like emotionally – like the finances don't make sense to keep going. Like you, you could still be breaking, like not actually losing money, yeah. but like just making so little that you're just like, this, this isn't worth the toll. Cause it's not like it's an easy industry to run a business in. So it, yeah, no, and it's, it's, it's hard work and it, it can be frustrating when you put a lot of effort into a beer and it doesn't turn out well, or it's not saleable. And, but you also, one of the things that helps make a brewery successful is having the financial flexibility to dump beer. And that's something we don't do super frequently, but like um, we, we uh, were tasting some barrels, some stout barrels on Friday and there are two or three, they're like, man, this is going to be great. And this is what we're going to do with it. And there were one or two that were like, Oh, that's uh, that's got a green apple thing going on. That's probably not going away. Yeah. Um, I'll taste it on a fresh palate in a week. And uh, if it's still, still bad, we're going to dump it. You know, it's just not, and that's sort of what I was talking about with the sour beers, that there's always a dice roll. And if somebody is putting $16 in trust in you to have a beer that they've never had before, and it's not good, it's pretty yeah. quickly somebody's going to say, it's not worth buying buying yeah, from them. That's unless, a lot, I ta- unless I get a sample yeah, of it on draft. That's or, a lot more damage done than taking the hit of not putting it out. But if, if you're really tight for money and you, yeah, you, you don't, don't have, the, have the money to buy new barrels and refill yeah. them and wait a year, you, you can be in a position. And, and um, for better or worse, and there's certainly times when, I mean, not every barrel is perfect, particularly on the sour side and the stout side. Yeah. But having enough, you, it allows you to say, you know, the, the, 
the, the worst 10% get dumped, the best 10% get no adjuncts or single barrel or double barrel. But then there's a lot in the middle. They're like, oh, this is good. It's a little bland. I bet this would be really fun with you know, a heavy hand with vanilla, yeah. chocolate, coconut, whatever. And hey, this one's a little dry. This one's a little sweet. I can put them together and it's pretty good. So when you're making those decisions, though, how do you get past your own personal bias of, because if you're like most people, you're probably way more critical on what you're making than anyone else is going to be. How, how I, I, I have <laughs> some friends who are jerks. <laughs> so you just bring in the, the you just bring in the honest oh, friends to try. Yeah, so it, it really is that it's not necessarily that a beer, a barrel is good or bad. It's that like it's not balanced. And so yeah. one may be too sweet and on its own, it would just be kind of sticky. Um, so like one, one of the things I've been doing really started with the pandemic was um, as a home brewer, I, I would sit down and drink every one of my beers and write up notes on it, post it on my blog. And for the first year of the brewery, like, I really didn't do that. We'd just sort of stand around, drink the beer, and chit-chat about it and whatever. Yeah. Um, and I really have made a point since then of, of sitting down on an evening, a weekend, with every single one of the beers that we put out. I always, as best I can, try to get something um, comparable from a local brewery, a cool brewery, something somebody dropped off for me. It's not always exactly the same thing or exactly the same hops, but really drinking them next to each other and... For a while, for example, I was noticing there are hoppy beers were a little bit more astringent. They had this roughness on the tongue that I, it wasn't bad. It didn't make it a bad beer, but it was just less drinkable, less um, refreshing. I found myself finishing that other glass of IPA before I finished our glass of IPA. Um, and that was, I think we were dry hopping too warm. And so now we dry hop okay. at a colder temperature. And we've, I've seen that astringency almost completely go away. We've uh, started more aggressively uh, finding the beers to remove yeast and, and hop particulate. Well, we don't filter or centrifuge or anything at our scale, but um, you know, sort of seeing those trends of what is what is good in your beers. You know, I, I think our the hop flavor when you drink our beers, that saturation of just like beautiful, you know, fresh hoppiness. I think is you know top top ten percent or whatever. That mouthfeel was bottom ten percent, and figuring out how to you know keep that the the thing I Get I loved best of yeah exactly. But there's always going to be a, a a personal preference in your beer, and you yeah. you can't just chase ratings or chase somebody else's palate. You have to say this is how I like hoppy beers, a little more bitter and maybe a little more sweet than some other people, and that's okay. And the people who like that will come to our, drink our beers, and if you like a slightly different balance. Black Flag does great hoppy beers. Astro Lab does great hoppy beers. Crooked Crab does great hoppy beers. Kershaw does great hoppy beers. Elder Pine does great hoppy yeah. beers. But they all have their own particular um, balance, yeast profile, hopping rate, all those things. And, and that's great. And that's sort of the point of, of beer is that we're not all making the exact same thing. We might be working in the same, you know, yeah. zone. So I have some potentially more questions about the future, what 2023 is going to hold. But uh, to make sure time-wise this fits in, because I think you are uniquely in a position to explain this to me, because uh -uh. um, uh, I've not been able to find anyone that could make me understand okay. this yet. What the hell is Phantasm, <laughs> and what are Theols? Uh, so it's uh, Thiol. Thiols. Is, yeah. No, the, but there's actually a, uh, Scott did a, a collab down in South America that was, they had, there was some pun about the, Theol, which is how they say it. Um, 
Scott would probably be better than me. So the, the general concept is that uh, thiols are uh, very potent aromatics. So um, some thiols that you might be aware of are um, light-struck beer. Light-struck beer, that Mercaptan is okay. a thiol. And it just takes you know parts per trillion. Um, the skunky aroma that they add to natural gas so that you know if you have a natural gas leak, yeah, that's a thiol. Okay. Um, for something or other. Um, but there are also these similar sulfur compounds that have really intense tropical passion fruit, grapefruit, uh, 3MH and 3MHA are sort of the two ones that people talk the most about. Um, and sort of the unique thing about um, these strains that have been genetically modified, so they've taken a brewer's yeast and they've done CRISPR-Cas9 or something like that, they've inserted a gene into it, um, sort of the first generation of these, um, strains like uh, Cosmic Punch from Omega, they were taking a gene from a, another yeast, usually a wine strain, because these thiols are, and their precursors are found in uh, white wine grapes, particularly Southern Hemisphere, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia. Um, if you have a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, stainless steel, bar uh, stainless steel sort of fermented, they have these incredibly intense um, tropical grapefruit, passion fruit, People say boxwood. I don't know, really know what that is, but um, and so it could deal with those, and maybe some compounds from hops. If you add the hops to the mash, um, it was. And we still kind of like those strains because they're a little more subtle. They'll add a grapefruit note, or they'll add a little more tropical, but they'll still sort of let the hops speak for themselves. Um, there's a lab called Berkeley Yeast uh, out in California that sort of is solely focused on. Uh, genetically modified yeast, so they have a yeast that produces lactic acid, where they took a gene from lactobacillus and added it to a, a cow ale. Um, they have one that produces linalool and geraniol, the sort of the classic hop aromatics that are sort of citrusy or um, almost have like a fruity pebbles kind of aroma. And they did a, a strain called London Tropics, where they took a gene from a, I believe they described as a food-grade bacterial source. And... <laughs> and um, I don't. I won't get into where that likely is from, but sort of the idea is that it's it's um, transgenic, so it's coming from a different species. And some people are a little more sensitive to that. The old, you know, take taking the gene from the bioluminescent thing and putting it into the fish, so the fish glows yeah. and that, that kind of thing, rather than just like from one yeast to another. Um, those um, genes are so much more potent that you can literally just make a beer that tastes like passion fruit with no hops, with no passion fruit, just the precursors are actually in the malt. And um, we've done that before, and we've used that to like reinforce, like, hey, we want to make a passion fruit beer, and if we can use this yeast to allow us to um, get more passion fruit aroma than um, you know, two pounds per gallon of, of passion fruit or something that's really punchy, in IPAs, those, those strains can be very distinct. And I think they work really well. If you're using um, Hydra or Galaxy or a hop that already has passion fruit aroma, and you want to lean into that even more. The problem with those strains, particularly if you want to use a house strain, is if you want, say, a Simcoe beer that's you know, mango-y and mango popsicle and, and all those great things, it makes this passion fruit aroma that's pretty strong and just sort of makes it kind of tropical, generic. And so it, it can be a little too heavy-handed as like the, the thing you use in every single one of your okay. IPAs just because it's it, at a certain level, it's almost just like adding passion fruit extract or flavoring or almost artificial because yeah. it's just that one most important compound. It doesn't have all the other 
you know, smaller that one note. That's it's it's like the difference between adding um, vanilla extract, uh, vanilla imitation vanilla extract, and an actual vanilla bean. Okay, now, they both have vanilla in. It's exactly the same, but if you're just getting the vanilla and you're not getting the the other com complex, interesting, unique notes that makes Tahitian vanilla and uh, Tongan vanilla and Madagascar vanilla unique. Um, so Phantasm, and we're, we're big fans of Phantasm, we actually have a beer in the tank right now called Applied Research that has Phantasm in it, is they take the grapes, and um, so it's a, a company that was founded by uh, Joss, whose uh, garage project is his other, uh, his brewery, but he also does Phantasm. Um, they um, work with New Zealand white winemakers, and a lot of these New Zealand winemakers know that there are certain fields that have super intense tropical flavors. And what they're really doing is that they're making, they call it a bomb tank, apparently, a super duper intense, over the top, uh, passion fruity wine. And then they're blending it into all of their other wines from other fields that don't have that character. And so then Phantasm takes those grapes after they've been pressed, they dry them, they um, chop them up into a powder, and then you're adding that to generally the whirlpool and sort of seeding your beer with a very concentrated um, source of thiols. You always need that uh, genetically modified yeast to sort of free those aromatics and turn them into the things that you can smell. Phantasm itself um, really sort of smells like old dried tea. It, it oh, itself doesn't really have much. It's a precursor. So that's probably why early on when Fat Phantasm first came out, and I think it was before it was more uh, generally known throughout brewing how to work with it, that the first beers were awful. Well, not quite awful, but yeah. like it was the second you tried it, you knew 100% that it was in there. Yeah. But now it's way more new. Like it, it, you can have a Fantasm beer and it not be like uh, that. Yeah. yeah. So it, and we, we talked to some some very cool and, and big breweries who just like don't want to use genetically modified yeast. That that's a yeah. thing that they they don't want to do, and they've just sort of like phantasm isn't isn't worth using unless. Yeah. So it's really this one two punch of of having the thiols there, and then having a strain that can um, sort of um, act, that, activate them, free them. Scott would be better at the actual yeah. specifics of what that. that no, is. no, you. I it, I finally understand now. Well, one you said everything without saying I think beforehand because everyone else I've ever asked it was always like well I think it's there and we've, uh, we've, we've had a bunch of our beers tested and um, it's crazy how high the the flavor threshold for thiols we're, we're often some of these beers are a hundred times higher than the threshold but um, once you dry hop them and there's competing flavors it they yeah. can be a lot more mellow so is, is cosmic punch then just the most common it, it was sort of the first Candle. one that really got um, traction. I, I like it because it's, I think they're saying that their new one, which is, oh, I get them all confused. There's uh, Star Party is American Ale, and there is Lunar Crush, which is a lager, and then they also have a, a English Ale. They're 200 times more potent than Cosmic Punch. So Cosmic okay. Punch is like a nice yeah. little nuanced note. Um, you can use it as a house yeast. I'm not sure I would use it in like a stout or something like that. Yeah. But Honestly, if it doesn't have a bunch of precursors and you really work to get those precursors, it really doesn't do much. Whereas the other ones will just turn any beer into a, a passion fruit, you know, party. Yeah. Well, thank you. I finally, I, I feel like I actually have an understanding of what all of that is now. Yeah, and it's, um, it's super interesting. And we've done a, a whole bunch of collabs around it. We did one with Toplin Goliath and Kushwa, and we just did one with Commonwealth down in Virginia Beach, um, Heisenberg, and we did... 
I, a, a bunch of those. And so it's, it's been something we've played around with and gotten to try sort of versions and worked with other breweries um, on them. It's, it's been um, really interesting. It's, it's, um, I'm, I don't necessarily love it in double IPAs. I think it's a little more interesting. We actually just did a collab uh, that we put out here with uh, Bissell Brothers where we did a Phantasm Cosmic Punch beer that then went into Oak Barrels for a year and then we got uh, Sauvignon Blanc Barrels and then it went on to uh, Crow Vineyard Chardonnay Grapes from um, the Eastern Shore. I had high rollers for the la first time last year. My goodness, it's so good. Did you eat there while you were, or did they come down here? Uh, we, it was a, a, a virtual uh, collab, okay. uh, but I think we're going to have them come up here and do a triple IPA version of the double IPA they did, which was Nelson Galaxy. High rollers was so good. <laughs> um, I can't remember which one of the brothers owns that. It doesn't matter. One, one of them. Yeah. Don't, but it, the restaurant is so good. I guess it's a very popular food. I think it's still a food truck. And they do mm. pop-ups, too. But cool. the food's amazing. Yeah, no, and they, they were super cool to work with. And we, we always enjoy. They sent us um, some growlers of their, like, house microbe culture to, yeah. to sour oh, the barrels nice. with. And we I as much as I can, I love collabs that involve, like, some exchange of something, whether yeah. it's people coming and helping blend or whether yeah. it's... Like a, swapping a, an actual piece of the yeah. the collab collaborating brewery. Yeah. No, and, and it's it's fun to do, you know, hey, how what do you guys do for your IPAs? What temperature do you dry hop at? But we're all kind of honed in on relatively yeah. similar places. Yeah, like the every everyone that operates in that realm has pretty much nailed the yeah. hazy IPA or yeah, and, and like then this. it just comes down to yeah, personal yeah. flavor flavor preference or who got the really good lot of whatever. Um, uh, so Back to the the shifting of of the craft beer industry, and so like I think it's safe to say like with a few exceptions, maybe line life is one hundred percent dead at this point. Um, I mean, there's, there's still, too many beers. Yeah, and but I think you know, like through the last two to three years, you know, like you have those hype breweries that had a heyday, like yeah. everyone seeking out their beers and stuff. Do you feel like that? It, and it already seems to be going down a little bit. Do you feel like that that is going to continue to die off some? So I, I honestly, I, I guess I don't know the current sort of like age demographic. If there are young 20-something people who, who are doing that now, or if it's just sort of like the people who are in our general, you know, yeah. 30s and 40s sort of age range are, and we were talking about earlier, having kids, Get, you know, their life is moving on. That's They've another thing that makes so everything beers. so like drinking, drinking preference preferences do seem to be very generational. Um, so that adds a whole nother layer into the complexity of yeah, and, how. And just if those, those beer nerds who are sort of, let's say aging out and getting kind of jaded and Hey, like I'm, I'm looking to loggers now. Yeah. I like stuff that's easy to drink. My, my dentist was telling me he used to like love IPAs. Now he's like a Pilsner guy. Yeah, I, um, I, give me a Czech Pilsner any day of the week. And, and there aren't many <laughs> Czech Pilsners you have to wait in line yeah. for, let alone, you know, would wait yeah. in line for. But, like, if those people who are sort of aging out aren't being replaced by younger um, people in their 20s who, you know, when I, was, I, I think I only waited in one line. It was the Batch 2 Castleton release at Captain Lawrence. A couple of friends and I drove up there. Uh -huh. and we, I'm still friends with most of those guys to this day, but um, we met one. We were driving one guy one way, and we picked somebody else up while we were there. And... Um, 
but like that's not who I am anymore. Yeah. I, honestly, you know, I sort of miss those days of just being like, oh yeah, it's a Saturday. I'm single. I you know don't have a dog. I don't have a brewery. I can just yeah. get in my car and drive four hours to go get two bottles of beer. And you know that that was a lot of that was fun. That you know above and beyond the the beer. At at this point, if it wasn't for this. I would spend very little time in breweries. Yeah. If, if I wasn't going to interview people, I, I just would not have the time. Yeah. To no, and, go, and exactly. And I go I, visit breweries. And, and for me, it really like part of it is we just put out so many beers. And so I honestly, we put out three or four beers a week. And if I want to sit down with each of them yeah, thoughtfully, that's not all, as and, much room for. And I, I try not to drink on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I've got five days to drink four beers yeah. sitting at my computer, you know. I, every once in a while, I, I try to make it up. I live in Tacoma Park, so I'll try to make it up to Silver Spring and, and visit Astrolab or uh, Denison's yeah. or Silver Branch, but not very often. Yeah. Or we'll try to take our dog out and you know go to go to the Rachel Carson Conservation Area and then stop by Elder Pine. Or um, I'm trying to be better at visiting new breweries that open because I know how helpful that and, and nice it was for me that when we had sort of a soft opening and the guys from Waverly and the guys from Guinness and the guys from and the guys and gals from you know wherever else yeah stopped by and said best of luck and here's a nice extra tip for your bartenders and and so I've been trying to at least in DC hit um when um Lost Generation opened I went there a week or so in and Try, try to get to those places and say hi I went to the new one in Maryland in Baby Cat yeah, the, uh, down, that's in uh, New uh, Kensington. Yes, I knew it was. It was a. It's a Mark station yeah. stop because I used to ride the Mark in this. And I've, I've been. I've been day. trying to go like a week or two after they opened, sort of yeah. figuring that you're slammed right away. Or yeah. you know, I think um, they were like contract brewing their beer the first, you know, for the opening, and then their beers are now on tap. You know, after a week or two, which is a super smart way to go if you need enough production for that yeah. grand opening. Um, <coughs> and. It was, Great getting to talk to the brewer and getting to I'm sure the owner, whoever whoever he was, some guy, some guy who has shown me their system, <laughs> someone who is involved with yeah. the, the brewery. But no, it's it's like it's nice to start getting back out there again and meeting people and talking to people and and you know, Baby Cat had a pressure washer mounted right next to their brew deck. I was like, that's a brilliant idea. You know, we're, <laughs> you know I, I early on I was climbing into our kettle and scrubbing it. Like what I would have done for a pressure washer. That, <laughs> but like those things that like people don't talk about, but you see yeah. it and you're like, oh, that's such a smart idea. Or like. That little thirty dollar part would save me so much effort. Yeah, because them, it's just something like yeah, a, they picked a up mon- wherever day thing. Yeah. but wouldn't think of it as something that could completely change your <laughs> your day. One one of the things we stole from we we did some contract brewing at Elder Pine, um, <laughs> our first couple of can releases, and they had these little um, vinyl cups that went over all of their valves so that you wouldn't get junk in them when they were sitting open. Yeah. I was like, oh, you can get those on Amazon for eight bucks and you can just, you know, cover up. And so you're not particularly for us, not spraying sour beer right in the valve that's then going to be kegging off your double IPA <laughs> or whatever. Like eight dollars well spent. <laughs> do you do you have your own canning line now or you, you use mobile canning? I, canning seems like a real headache. Okay. They, they um, I, I was joking with uh, the like one of the vice presidents of um, Ironheart, like stop by. He was in the yeah. area where I was just like, tell your guys that like once every six months be like, oh, man, the left seamer actuator has gone down like oh that's a thousand dollars oh good thing we had an extra one in the truck um at, at our scale we, one we just don't have room for it yeah um but two it's just like having a skilled operator is so important and um and they've got their own do meter and and every time they run it, it's just like yeah we're picking up you know eight pp ppb or whatever yeah. and the number of hazy ipas i've had that are 
three or four weeks old and, and taste like they're three or four months old. And the number of hours I have that I find one at the bottom of my kegerator that's three months old, and it still tastes pretty good. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's as good as it was fresh or as good as it was at a month, but, but it's, still, gonna, it's still acceptable. Someone could drink it and still uh, consider it, it a, a yep. good beer. The, the color's still good. You know, it, it hasn't gone that brown, murky thing. It still has a freshness, a fruitiness, whatever. Um, and it's just nice not having to deal with we we deal with enough headaches. <laughs> um, we'd love to get our we should get our own mill. I think it's probably the next sort of investment, but that involves explosion proof rooms and yeah, things. that's a whole. It's not as simple as just yeah. getting one. Unfortunately. Yeah, and, and the and Ironheart has been super cool. We're we're doing a run with they have a nitro doser, so we're going to do a, like a tropical export stout with muscovado oh, cool. sugar and and do nitro and like it's just so cool to like have those things and like not have to deal with it. Yeah, ourselves not have to know figure how to figure out how to do it or call up another brewery yeah. and hope that maybe they could come help you and show yeah. you how Ironheart to do just it. has a whole document here's what here's the temperature you need yeah. here's you know make sure to have an extra one of these make you know yeah and from what I, what I've always been told as long as you have everything like CO2 levels and temperature at what they tell you to yeah. everything goes perfectly yeah we've, we've had very few issues of any kind with them and and um, particularly in this area we're lucky that I think eight or nine of their guys and gals who have been working there who run the lines are like have been there for five years or something like that, and so they're you know they really um, it's the same faces that we've had for the last three years. Yeah, they know where to set up, they know how you know whatever, and, and often you know they're here at seven and they're done by about two, and we've got thirty barrels of beer in cans and what, knock it out. I don't remember what size system do you have? So it's a, a ten barrel system, but we have uh, mostly twenty barrel tanks. Okay. So we're, we're double batching uh, most of it. And that was here front. You, you bought all yeah, that and brought so it the, in. Okay. The brewery that was here before us had just this little three-barrel system they were um, leasing from Vanish Brewing. Okay. Um, and I don't know how they were planning on sort of supplying this whole big, you know, 3,000-square-foot tasting room yeah. and whatever. But, yeah, that was sort of our our startup capital got to go. And they they built out the pad. They built okay. out the tasting room. Um, but we um, got, a, got a much bigger system. Um, Money had been sent, spent on all the non-sexy stuff. Yeah. So you got to well, honestly, I mean, the tasting room's probably sexier than yeah. the uh, than you know a bunch of big stainless steel tanks from China. Although, if I, uh, uh, you guys seem to really get into the stainless steel, though. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> maybe and we, to the consumer that yeah. the tasting yeah, yeah, yeah. room is the sexy part, but from the the brewers and the yeah. owners, it's often the and, and, the shiny and, metal that. And, and sadly, as we've done expansion, you know, often the install or whatever is about the same price as the equipment. You know, you spend six thousand yeah. bucks on a tank; it's about six thousand dollars to get the rigger to put it in place, get the the plumber to put the glycol in line, yeah. put the. Yeah, it's not as simple as just uh, taking delivery and plopping it into place. You know, some, some, and, and Scott's a lot handier than I am, but I I am lost with any sort of thing <laughs> like that. And like we we are. Um, Scott is more and more, you know, sort of taking on that role of like figuring out equipment, getting install done, doing as much as he can himself legally yeah. and um, um, uh, you know, from a safety standpoint, yeah. whatever, and then getting, you know, knowing who we're working with to get the concrete poured or the whatever. So we're, we're going to be adding a, a few more tanks, which will help us increase our production a little bit, but really is more designed to allow us to like make loggers that we can logger for more than three weeks or whatever yeah. it is and, and do, do those things. Everyone that, seems to be doing that now with the amazing resurgence of people wanting to drink loggers. To drink drinkable and, beers. Yeah. 
and West Coast IPAs. So I'll we, never we, stop talking about Every once in a while, we, we keep that. trying to make a, a West Coast IPA, and it always turns out just as like just as hazy and just as you know. <laughs> you've forgotten how to make a clear well, IPA. I'm not sure I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I used to joke that people used to I used to get criticized for the lack of clarity in my IPAs okay. as a home brewer. And then we start getting criticized for not being, you know, not being not murky, hazy. not being, you know, just. I can still see a little yeah. bit through this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, but all that stuff really keeps us fresh. I mean, it really allows us to flex that fundamental research um, part of the brain that you don't necessarily get to flex as much if you're really just focused on one style or something yeah. like that. And once we're now sort of, I won't say autopilot on the IPAs, but we have a pretty standard approach and, and we're just changing hop varieties and. As long as the hops smell good, you kind of know the beer is going to be good. Yeah. Um, it sort of freed up some mental space to, to go into that. But we're, we're also, if anyone out there is looking for a job, we'll be um, probably posting a job for a brewer in the next couple of months. Oh, another one. Or yeah. So, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so really it's, um, we're just doing more, more of these stouts and more of these sour beers. And um, we're, we're trying to do about two barrel-aged sours a month and one barrel-aged stout barley wine, whatever. And all that stuff is just, you know, another tank to flip, another day of filling barrels, another day of emptying barrels, another day of, you know, all, all that stuff. And so we're, we're uh, excited to hopefully bring on a third full-time production person. Is there still a shortage of brewers? It seemed like, there, like a lot of places were having trouble finding. It's, we're, we're in that sort of unique situation where we, like, have a lot of people who um, apply or are excited to work okay. for us because we're somewhat of a yeah, known quantity. We, we also offered, I think, above sort of the sort of baseline Got entry it. kind of thing. You know, we're sort of starting a... You're a able to attract people. Yeah. Exactly. Um, do you, is there anything uh, that you have coming up that you want to let people know about other than... Uh yeah, so we, we, fi we finally got the space um, right next to us. So for a long time, we had three suites that were the brewery. And then at, uh, two years ago, we got a unit two doors down for the sour stuff. And now we're taking over the, the unit between them, so, okay. which will make um, our life a little, a little nicer. We're probably going to be um, expanding the tasting room a little bit. We, just with more tanks, we'll need more space yeah. for grain and empty cans and, and whatever. Um, so it'll be a combo of like warehouse space and expanding yeah. the tap room out a little and, further. And probably more um, private event space. That, that okay. is just, uh, we have a, a small sort People of 20 People love person. to have events at breweries. Yeah, we, we, and I'm, I'm turning, am I turning 40? I'm turning 40 in two months. And the joke for a long time has been that like once a month we get an email, hi, my husband's turning 40. <laughs> he loves sapwood cellars. It's like, I guess it's no big surprise that like two guys who are in their yeah. late thirties made a brewery that like a bunch of guys who are about the same age really yep. like hanging out at and like the beer. And, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're hoping to add like a bigger dedicated space. Okay. Um, we're, we're playing with food options. We still currently just do sort of the food truck thing and we have snacks, but we'd, we'd eventually like to bring, whether it was a dedicated food truck or whether it was um, a space that we could lease out or whether it yeah. was us running it, we, we sort of aren't sure exactly what that's going to yeah, be. Yeah, Old Mother just did that where they, yeah. they build out a kitchen, they lease it out to 50-50 burgers, yeah. uh, obviously Kushwa with... Uh, Brad uh, pies. Brad pies. Yeah. Um, I think that like the way Crooked Crab did it too is ingenious where like they made the bigger tap room and the the original one becomes like the event space yeah. or when they're busy, they can open that side to have just more additional uh, space to yeah. and that, and that's sort of um, ooh, Charlie Horse. Oh <laughs> um 
And that's sort of like jailbreak had that same sort of setup too. Yeah. And they added food that sort of, you know, you can close off part of it so you don't have to necessarily have the yeah. huge cavernous space um, open. Food, food we, we've looked into building kitchens. It's very expensive. <laughs> yeah, that I think, oh, I know old mother had wanted to do it for a long time, yeah. but like extra tanks and things kept pushing that back because it's yeah. just so many things you have to buy and the expense. Yeah. <laughs> And that's and and food too can you know it's it's more overhead and cost and yeah. staff and and all those sorts of things. Do you have time to? Answer? Well, actually, first, how do people stay up to date with the going on at oh, Sapwood? As as a as a former uh, writer, I, I do all our uh, almost a weekly email at this point because every week we're releasing something. Yeah. Um, but I I try to make it a little bit more interesting. It's not just hey, here's the beers that's coming out. It's um, a little background on you know. A producer we worked with, or a technique we used in a beer, or things like that. Um, so honestly, the, the email is the best way to go. Obviously, we have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, but the way those companies are going at the moment, yeah. it's um, even if, if you, you like want to something, actually see it for sure. Yeah, the, you you have to interact with, it. and they very much seem to almost like pull back the um, distribution. If you're if you're saying, hey, like come in and buy this, yeah. it's like, oh, did you want to spend fifteen? Yeah. And for a while, and, and every once in a while, if we were doing an event, I'd throw 10 bucks in. We'll yeah. show it to an extra 5,000 people. And now it's like, spend an extra $15, and we'll show it to an extra 48 people. <laughs> like, no, I yeah, don't think a, so. Do you have some time to answer some stupid questions? Of course. Well, at least intentionally stupid ones. Yeah. Uh, who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? Are, are we on a boat, or are we... Uh, and it's just in general. There's just that in, just in and general. just know there is a correct answer. I'll go ninja. Wrong. It's I'm sorry, it's a pirate. I have no reasoning for that other than that is that is the hill I've decided I've, to die on. It's not quite <laughs> I've, I've been playing uh, Ghost of uh, Tsushima on my uh, my PlayStation so I was I was in a You're a, clouded. Your yeah. judgment uh, is That's more samurai than ninja. <laughs> Do you wash apples before eating them? Uh definitely. With soap too. Wow. You mm. are in the vast majority of then. Some people just consider like rubbing on their shirt is watching. <laughs> is Nickelback actually a good band? I, I saw Nickelback. They were uh, closing for um, oh, what was that band? When I, when I was in um, lived in Pittsburgh, my good friend Josh was a big fan of the Clark's. Yeah, Penny on the Floor. And so actually, we, my my graduate my class song was "Send Me on My Way," which probably half of the and and so the Clark's were opening for Nickelback, so we went to see the Clark's okay. and then left partway through the Nickelback <laughs> set. So I'll, I'll say, was the question no? They're not good. Is, are they actually good? So you're you are follow? They is, yeah. Are they actually? Good? Yeah, well, because they get crapped on so much. I feel like I needed to, <laughs> to phrase it that way. <laughs> they're not my my choice of listening. Although I'll say the music selection at the brewery that Google plays for us is very eclectic. Although I'm I'm not sure Nickelback is yeah. is on the uh, the AI's list. And I was wrong. Rusted Root sang "Send Me on My Way," oh. not Clark's. But another Pittsburgh. There, yeah, there was uh, there was band. an I can't remember what the, the Clark's did have a there was some hit song. Theirs was "Penny on the Floor." Okay. I think. Hopefully, I'm right about that. Uh, there's don't want the Clark's fanboys yeah. calling in and complaining. <laughs> uh, does pineapple belong on a pizza? Uh, no. Correct. You got that one right. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh, yes, I have a very loose interpretation. I, I, eat, I eat a lot of wraps, <laughs> and I think anything in a, anything in in folded in it, with bread around it is any a kind of meat surrounded by a carb. Any kind of anything. Yeah, <laughs> I could be a carb wrapped around a carb. <laughs> 
is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Definitely. If you were having a plumbing issue, would you hire Mario or Luigi? Luigi seems to have his head screwed on a little better, I think. Fame hasn't gotten to yeah. him. That's, a, that's the general consensus. What do you put in the bowl first, cereal or milk? I don't, I don't eat cereal. Huh. It's you been, just put it in beer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely cereal would be, would be yeah. the way, because then you know the level of yeah. the milk is correct, and the cereal would, otherwise the cereal might float. Yeah. Although maybe so, it wouldn't get soggy. So Jeremiah, the owner of King's Brewing mm-hmm. out in California, he will fill the bowl with milk and then just dose in one, no, like a scoop at a time of cereal. Oh, oh dunk, dunk yes. his cereal. <laughs> that's odd. That's control. Yeah, I, that was the that was the the only time I've not called the. I mean, it's still kind of a maniac move, uh, but I had to respect him for the like just pure dedication yeah. to how. Uh, how much milk he wanted to add to his cereal. I'm, I'm, I'm a yogurt and fruit guy in the morning okay. rather than a cereal guy. So granola sometimes if, that's, if that is in fact a cereal. Uh, what is the maximum amount of time acceptable to still eat something after dropping it on the floor? In, in my own home, and if it was something that was like really like dry, you know, it's a pretzel or something. Yeah. Although I, I'll say this has changed. We've had a dog now for about a year. And it's gone way down. Oh, yeah, because you, you have competition. Well, no, or, it's just he, he is so hungry that if you cook anything in the kitchen, <laughs> he just licks the floor in the entire oh, kitchen. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. And so now it, I almost, I won't. I, <laughs> I'm now at the point that if I drop a piece of potato on the floor, I'm not even sure I'll put it in the pot of water to cook it. Gotcha. It used to be a lot longer. It used to be if it was a pretzel and I, I, and I was eating pretzels earlier and I saw a pretzel and I didn't even remember dropping it, I might eat it. If you were a Spice Girl, what would your name be? Obviously, like Sour Spice, right? Is that? That's perfect. Yeah. Who would play you in a movie about your life? So when, when I was in college, uh, I, I had a lot more hair, and all the girls thought I looked like Dawson from Dawson's Creek. I could see that. Your forehead, even without it's, hair, your forehead's big, not the, quite the big the brow. Dark, right? and I, I had sort of like shaggy blonde hair oh, that okay, was thinning, so that, and then the dark eyebrows. And, and after that, it then became Jeff Daniels. So I don't. I actually don't know. I don't remember the name of the actor from Dawson's Creek. But yeah, at this point, he, uh, bees. Be, uh, it doesn't matter. But I but know you're talking. I don't about. know who. I don't know what he looks like now. He may also have gone bald and he, may. No, he may, still has no, the he still flowing. Uh, Project locks. Of, <laughs> uh, what would the title of your biography be? Uh, probably the Mad Fermentationist or something. Assuming it wasn't you know like after like I did something you know super notable that you know got me. <laughs> Uh, name a famous person you would love to meet. Famous person. I, I am one of those people who like is not particularly interested in celebrity. Yeah. In any, I love I love um, ideas and concepts and things like that. Uh, it's probably like you know I don't I don't even remember his name. The guy from Noma or something like that. The okay, the, yeah, you know, yeah. the chef Remy whatever his name is. As you can see, I don't even know his name. <laughs> I've um, only ever had three, and I've met one so far, so I don't. I still need to. Yeah. To but one's more Cuban, and I just find him fascinating, and because he's also from Pittsburgh. Yeah. Crunchy or creamy peanut butter? Crunchy. So it's funny. I added that question not that long ago, and everyone kept answering crunchy, and I knew I used to prefer that, but I yeah. hadn't had it forever. 
because my wife always buys creamy peanut butter. My wife is also a creamy peanut butter buyer. But I came home the other day and there was like a huge industrial size <laughs> tub of crunchy peanut butter. So I emphatically can say, yes, crunchy peanut butter. is. I, I've definitely been in a situation where I've like chopped up peanuts and added them to <laughs> whatever the thing. crunchy enough. Well, you know, like if, just, if all we had left was yeah. smooth and that was, you know. What's the first thing you would buy if you won the Powerball? First thing I would buy is pro like probably like, like I, I'm a real cheapskate when it comes to like Uber Eats and things like that. Uh -huh. I would probably get like, you know, delivery of something real, real high end and not worry that, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a service fee and they've jacked up the prices and they've, you know. <laughs> really splurge. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, then, and that just gives you time to like, you yeah. know, you don't want to make a big decision on an empty stomach, yeah. you, you know. You don't want to buy your yacht uh, you, hungry. You, you, you open up a nice beer, you know, you, you don't want to drink that on an empty <laughs> stomach and then do something stupid with the money. Exactly. Uh, if you were a wrestler, what would your walkout music be? Everything I listen to would be awful wrestler walkout music. <laughs> If, if I'm in charge of it, it's, you know, like Big Thief and Fleet Foxes and things like that. None of that would make good wrestler walk out. <laughs> um, I, the other thing I always get is the, the Mad Frontations thing. I get the, the Walter White uh, shaved head kind of thing. So, like, maybe, yes, maybe the Breaking Bad, like, intro or something like that. I don't, I don't know if that's hype enough for a wrestling thing, but at least it, it would work. be. There's, the, yeah. there's definitely been there's some a lower. remix or something yeah. like that. You know, like the, the, the dubstep the, remix yeah. of it. <laughs> Um, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I never had big, big passions, uh, or like, uh, I was never one of those kids who like had some vision of yeah. whatever it was. Um, there was a time when I thought I might want to be, uh, like a podiatrist or something like that, that, you know, like a doctor, but not somebody who had to deal with a bunch of blood or a bunch <laughs> of people, you know, feel sick. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Um, you know, just like like a low key, yeah. very low risk, nothing weird with eyes or blood or anything. <laughs> I, I was always a little squeamish. Um, I, I definitely, I, I loved cooking. There was definitely, um, I didn't love the concept of being a chef because of the hours and the, the yeah. stress and whatever. And, and brewing has been that nice, like you make one big batch of beer and you can really think about it and focus on it and get it just right. But then you don't have to be there on Saturday night. Yeah making beer for each customer. There's some le similarity. Like a lot of the romanticized parts of being a chef without the crap parts of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But there's also that much longer sort of, you know. Yeah, you don't have the in instant progress. feedback loop yeah. of. All right, one more. Uh, what is the best gift you've ever received? Uh-oh, putting somebody on the spot here. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it would probably be something like my, my parents giving us some seed money to open the brewery would be, you know, it's, it's certainly yeah. been the, the largest and Scott's the most parents, meaningful, my parents and Scott's parents and, and me and him, you know, sort of each, each chipped in some cash and that would sort of be the, the largest change to my, uh, daily life, life, you know, trajectory yeah. for lack of a better, you know, mental health, personal health, whatever, get, getting to be my own boss and. Not to a cubicle, which I was happy doing and probably wasn't great for me for you know, <laughs> long term. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, and, and thank you so much for uh, find me finally understanding what uh, Phantasm is. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pull, pull you a sample off the, uh, the tank and you'll see how ours uh, stacks up. Uh, and uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. 
Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.